Well, good afternoon. Glad to see all of you here. We're going to be talking about safeguarding your relationship, but I realize for many of you, what I'm talking about here about is more of how to get started. Many of you are already dating, so you can ap apply the same principles, though. What I'm talking about is basically how to save your relationship before it starts, first of all. Many people I've found end up getting divorced because they weren't willing to go through the pain of a breakup. They know it's not working, they don't want to be together, but I can't tell you how many couples I have counseled with who are like, look, we just need to either get married or break up. And I'm like, wow, I can tell you which one. <laughs> but no, people want to make it work, and often they, they're desperate to make it work because they've invested so much time, so much energy, or because there are all these expectations of friends and family, maybe even their parents are saying, this is the person you should marry. And also just because of the pain. It's very painful to break up. And they, they wrestle, they go back and forth sometimes between break up, get back together, break up, get back together. Because there's, they're not committed enough to want to go through all the hard stuff, but they're too committed to just get rid of the relationship altogether. So I want to talk about first, how do you prevent getting into a relationship like that? And then what to do if you're in it. First of all, we're going to talk about prayerfully evaluating four different categories of um, qualifications for marriage. Character, beliefs or lifestyle, personality, and circumstances. These are the four critical categories that I believe need to be evaluated before people make a commitment to be with one another. And they're all based on scripture, thoroughly. I mean, and, and throughout the spirit of prophecy and just, we have so much counsel telling us how to conduct our relationships wisely. It's just a tragedy that so few people do. First of all, 1 John 4.16 says, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. My husband brought out earlier, but I just want to emphasize to you, the most important thing you can do to have a healthy relationship with someone else is to have a healthy relationship with God first. Grow in him. Find your sense of being loved and worthwhile in him, because if you don't, you will be idolatrous in your relationship. You can't help it. We're worshipers. We're created to worship, so we always worship either God or someone or something else. And whatever it is we worship in the place of God is really just self-disguised. We don't love that person so much. We love what that person does for us or how they make us feel. So the first thing to do is connect deeply with God. Then when you've done that and you're in a maturing, rich relationship with Jesus Christ, you are prepared to evaluate the first point, character. Character is a simple word for how much is this person like Jesus? Now, when we get to heaven, every one of us is going to have our own unique personality, but we're all going to have one character, the character of Christ. So that's why I put these in two different categories. Personality is what makes you unique. Character is what should make all of us as Christians alike. How much are we like Jesus, and are we willing to let him be the one in charge of our lives? Character is a vast category of things to evaluate. So you really have to see people in a variety of circumstances before you can have a safe evaluation of their character. Things like how connected is this person with God? When they are frustrated or something, what comes out? It's often the smallest things that happen 
that tell you the biggest things about who this person really is. How do they behave when they get cut off in traffic? How do they treat handicapped people or old people or nerdy people, people who they can't get anything out of? How do they value those people? That tells you a lot about how they'll value you when you get in the way of what they want to do. Maturity. This is a, a broad category kind of encompassing how well has this person matured through the circumstances of life? How well do they know how to handle a variety of situations? How do they deal with frustrations? How do they deal with joy? Do they have an approach to conflict that's going to be healthy? Are they impulsive? So much of it is maturity. You know, a youth not out of his teens is a poor judge of the fitness of character of one as young as himself as a life partner. But maturity is more than age. There are 40-year-olds who aren't as mature as 4-year-olds when it comes to dealing with conflicts and getting what they want the way they want it. Commitment. This is an important part of character. You want to know not so much how well did this person and I match as how are they going to react when we don't match? Because we won't all the time, right? Remember, personality is what makes you unique. You're not going to marry somebody with your personality. There aren't any other people out there. So it's great to marry somebody with a similar personality to yours. That'll reduce the amount of conflict, but it's not going to eliminate conflict. You want to know how committed are they going to be and how are they going to handle the ways that you're different. Responsibility. Is this person responsible? You can see this by how they pay their bills, how they treat their parents, how they treat their siblings and their friends and their commitments. When they're late to something, how do they handle that? You know, and are they consistently late when they promise they're going to be there? You know what I'm talking about? Um, Self-discipline. Self-discipline is a huge area that shows so much of what a person's really like. What do they do in their spare time? Do they escape to things? How do they handle pressure? How do they handle when they don't feel like talking to you? Conflict resolution is a huge problem in marriages because people don't have self-discipline. And sometimes they don't have the communication skills necessary, but more often conflict resolution problems are not because they can't communicate, but because they're selfish. So conflict resolution, I put it in the category of character defects because it's very important that this person knows how to resolve things in an unselfish way. Humility. Humility is a broad category that deals with so many of these things. A lot of this is overlapping, but these are some examples of things that you want to evaluate about a person before you make a commitment to them. Selflessness. Do they really treat others with love and respect? Their ethics. When they are late to something, why do they say they were late? Are they honest? Do they say, well, the traffic was really bad. Yeah, but there was no way they could possibly get there in time. They left too late, but they make it sound like it wasn't their fault or that it was somebody else's fault. You want to know that a person is going to treat others the way that they want to be treated. So character is the number one thing you evaluate, the number one thing that you look at. And of course, realize, before you evaluate someone else, you need to be evaluating yourself. You don't want to give yourself as a gift to someone else when you're not measuring up to what you know you're looking for in somebody else. I don't mean that we have to be perfect. Look, none of us are perfect. But you want to know that a person has solid character, particularly when it comes to issues of addiction. Because an addiction is a behavior 
that shows a much deeper underlying worship issue, that they are not deeply committed to Christ. Instead, their hearts are divided. And if there's one thing that I would say is the number one warning sign when someone, when you're evaluating someone's characters, if you see that they're struggling with addictions and they're not willing to confront those and get rid of them, there's a big problem. So many times I've counseled with women whose husbands were addicted to pornography many years before they ever met. And they married their husbands figuring, well, it's gonna work out, you know, he hasn't had any problems for the last three months. No, the issues need to be resolved in the heart. And that's a process, not an event. You want to know those things are dealt with because your children's life depends on it. Your life could depend on it. How well does this person manage anger? How well does this person manage stress? How well does this person manage being able to relax? When there isn't a crisis, how do they handle life? These are the issues that you want to evaluate first. So character is the number one thing you want to think about. When people's marriages fall apart later on, it is almost always something that they could see was going on before they got married. The issues were there. And when people look back and say, yeah, we, we finally hit the rocks, we finally divorced, but we divorced over the same things that we were battling about when we were dating, or even before we were dating. Same issues, unresolved. It could have been prevented. The breakup and the divorce could have been prevented if people had thought through character more wisely before they went forward. The next category is covered by 2 Corinthians 6.14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Sometimes when you're evaluating lifestyle and belief system, there's nothing wrong with the other person's character. They may be a godly, wonderful, mature, well-balanced person, but if they don't have the same convictions you do, they don't have the same lifestyle you do, you're going to have some massive issues. You may not be able to be together, even scripturally. You know, I dated somebody who was a Lutheran, and I was an Adventist. How were we going to raise our children? I wasn't thinking things through. But eventually, later on, when I got together with my husband, I could see not only were our belief systems similar, but our lifestyles were similar, and that made a huge difference. What is a person's conviction? And you need to know a lot of different areas of what their convictions are. How do they believe in keeping Sabbath? That's going to be a major issue when you have children, and you may not even know all of those things. Does that mean that if this person is going out to eat on Sabbath and playing football and you're not, then they're lost and you're saved? That's not what I'm talking about. You're talking about evaluating a person to be a partner with you. How do you get yoked together if one of you is jerking this way and one of you is jerking that way all the time? Convictions do change, beliefs do change, but they often don't change. And conviction is a crucial area. There are areas of conviction that two people may be a little different on and they can live together peaceably. You know, if she believes she should wear dresses and he doesn't believe she has to wear dresses, that may not be much of an issue. Although it may be once they have children and she wants the children to dress the way her convictions are. But what about music? Music can be a huge issue because you don't want to have daddy's music and mommy's music, do you? You don't want to have this constant, we can't even listen to music together because you don't want to listen to the things that I want to listen to. Now, it's, it's one thing to die to self, and that would be more of the character 
issue. You know, if my husband wants to listen to classical music and I hate classical music, it's a noble thing for me to do, to listen to his classical music and let it play in the house. Be kind. That's unselfishness, right? But what if he has no conviction against some kinds of music that I have a conviction against? It's not a noble thing for me to give up my conviction because then I'm putting my husband in the place of Christ. I believe that God wants me to do this, but I do what my husband wants instead. You see the difference? So it's honorable to let go of preferences, but it's dishonorable to let go of convictions. Convictions can be studied through together, and that's an important part of figuring out a lifestyle belief system compatibility. What are your decision-making strategies when you have this system of beliefs and he has this system of beliefs or she has this system of beliefs? How do you come to a conclusion? Do you just say, well, you know, whichever one of us is more conservative, that's the one that we'll go with. Well, that's an option. May not be your best, but if you're already married, it may be your only option. But it might be better to study through things together, listen to seminars, <coughs> prayerfully search through things, see if you can come to a similar belief system. But don't make a commitment to get into a relationship with somebody when you have dramatically different belief systems and lifestyles, especially when you have differences theologically. You know, I dated someone who was a Seventh-day Adventist and seemed to be a very godly spiritual person. I mean, I can't judge someone's heart, but after we started dating, I found out that he had very different beliefs than I did about salvation. He felt that you should never have a confidence that you're saved, no matter what. And he had studied this extensively. He had a whole binder full of reasons why. He was certain that even if our children had repented of every known sin and they, as far as they knew, were in right relationship with God, they should never say or think or feel that they are right with God and if they died at that moment, they would be saved. He said, you should never have that sense. You should always be feeling that, I don't know, I don't know. That wasn't how I felt. That wasn't my conviction at all. Did that mean he was a less godly person than me? Of course not. But we had very different belief systems, and it ended up being crucial to why we couldn't get along together. He also had very different music than I did and didn't have the same convictions that I did. He had different um, beliefs about food, how he wanted to live his life, the way that he dressed, the way that he spent his spare time. There were a lot of things that were very different that I didn't realize when I started dating him. And the reason why we had to break up was because I didn't do my homework first. And it was a lifestyle and belief system that pulled us apart, probably more than anything else. Our habits. Some people want to get up early in the morning. Some people want to go to bed early at night. Um, some people like to go out and run early in the morning. Whatever, you know, this, this isn't a good or bad thing necessarily. But habits will cause crisis in relationship if two people can't flex with one another. And flexibility is probably, once you, I mean, other than theological issues, what is God like? What is his expectation of me? How can I prepare for the second coming? How should I reach out to others? These are the kinds of things that you want to evaluate before you make any kind of conviction, any, any kind of decision on being together with somebody, especially, especially if you're not of the same faith. But you also have to deal with flexibility issues. This person may have a very different way of living than you do. 
maybe the kinds of people they spend time with, the reasons why they spend time with those people. But if they're flexible, and if you're flexible, you can make things work. Some of my friends are, you know, introvert, extrovert together, but they're able to be flexible with each other. This person gets lots of time alone. This person gets to go out and spend time with other friends, doesn't always invite people home because their introvert spouse isn't interested in having lots of people over. That's not evil. That's self-sacrifice. But flexibility is crucial both to the character traits, because it's unselfishness that requires flexibility, but also to your lifestyle and belief system. It's not so much that you have exactly the same habits, in other words, it's how flexible you are in dealing with them. Sometimes you'll just have to go two separate paths, not because you don't love each other, but because your convictions are different. And when you can't come to the same convictions, it's not safe to pursue being yoked together. In fact, it's very dangerous and can even lead to one or both of you compromising on issues of conviction and feeling that you've severed yourself from God because you choose relationship with this person over relationship with God. So I can't emphasize enough to you how important it is that you think through what your convictions are and whether you're actually able to work together and be yoked together. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? This is a similar topic, but I, I put personality in a different category than the previous one because personality is more who you are. Convictions can change and often they do and belief systems can change. So that doesn't mean that you should go ahead and date somebody hoping that their belief system will change. But personality is a different category because with, with issues of character, you should not be together with that person if their character is not well-rounded. If you can see areas that they are troublingly not like Christ, dealing with major depression and anxiety or issues that are unresolved, anger, whatever, you need to stay away no matter how much you care about this person. Don't get in a relationship when there are major issues of character that they're not like Jesus. When it comes to belief systems, it's very important that your belief systems are in harmony before you even consider making any kind of commitment because you risk breaking your convictions or the other person's convictions and your relationship with God. Personality, on the other hand, I think almost any two different personalities can build a beautiful relationship that's God-glorifying if they're both willing to sacrifice. Otherwise, people who get married for all the wrong reasons to all the wrong people would be doomed, right? <laughs> this would be a tragic thing. And you know, there are a lot of people who give up on their marriages very early on because they say, I know the reasons we got together were wrong. We didn't follow the plan that Nicole Parker laid out. Therefore, we married the wrong person and there's no hope for my marriage. So they don't even try. You can prevent a breakup by watching for some of these things. But once you are in a committed, once you're married to this person, committed before God for life, you can make it work with your personality clashes or not. It'll just take a lot of flexibility and dying to self. But having said that, before you get into that relationship, it would be a great idea for you to evaluate your personalities. Now remember, no two personalities are gonna be the same, but there are some crucial areas of personality that it's very important that you can be on the same page or similar page on. Communication skills, this is huge. There are so many different ways of communicating that aren't right or wrong. But if one person 
desires to communicate in one way, the other person doesn't. You know, a depth of communication, for example. Some people want to be able to share everything. They want to have the soulmate kind of marriage. Other people want to have the partnership. We're facing in the same direction. Let's do a marathon together. This is awesome. They don't really want deep face-to-face, heart-to-heart communication. They want a buddy. I wouldn't say either of those is evil, but they're very different ideals for marriage. And if your ideals for marriage are different from one another, each of you is going to end up dissatisfied. On your date nights, you're going to be going out and sitting and staring into each other's faces while one of you tries to drag stuff out of the other one. And then on other date nights, you'll be out doing something together and each person is going to end up feeling unfed. You know what I'm talking about? So your ideals for marriage, what kind of marriage you want, are very important. Um, Introversion or extroversion. You know, some people are extroverts by nature. They just want lots of people, lots of time with people, shallow relationships. You know, whoever's there is there, whoever's gone is gone, you know, that kind of personality. And they often are attracted to the more introverted types that want to listen, they want to connect deeply. Because each of them is feeling kind of dissatisfied with an unbalanced or, you know, over to one side or the other side kind of friendship network. So the introvert says, wow, this is great. I don't have to talk at all. I just sit here and listen for hours. And the extrovert says, this is great. I get to talk for hours. This person's such a good listener. So hooray, they pounce on each other and get married and live miserably ever after because each of them is driven nuts by the other person pretty soon, right? One guy I dated, his friendships were very different than mine. He had a lot of buddy kind of friends, but not really deep friends. And my friends were more deep and and we spent a lot of time together. We wrestled through big stuff together. And so I found his friends, like, unfulfilling. I didn't really want to spend that time with them. That wasn't evil of either of us. And doubtless, he probably had more friends than I did and had a wonderful friendship network and a great time with his friends. But our friendship styles were very different. Energy levels can be a crucial thing. If one person is always wanting to get out there and do something, and the other person is always hoping that this afternoon will include an armchair and a good book, Um, neither of those is evil but they're different. And flexibility will be a huge factor if they can't work through some of those crises. You know, I have a friend who's married to someone with a very high energy level. And then to complicate things, some health issues came along. So one person isn't able to go out and do a lot. The other person is always going, can we do this? Let's clean that out. I want to do these things. I've got a list. I've got a list. You can work through things like that but it can be very tough. So you want to evaluate energy levels, life calling. Ideally, before you get together with a life partner, you already know your life calling. It's wisest for you to make the four decisions of life in order. First, am I going to serve God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Hopefully so. You make that decision first. Then, Lord, how are you calling me to spend my life serving you? Third, who am I going to spend my life serving yoked together with, or am I? And then fourth, are we going to bring children into the world? A lot of people get those the other way around. Whoops, we're pregnant. (laughs) I guess we better get married. (laughs) Whoa, how are we going to support our family? And then, Lord, this is not working. Help! (laughs) 
You want to do it the other way around. It's so much better. Finding a life calling is a process also. Very few people come to college already knowing exactly what they're going to do with their lives. They may think they know what they're going to do with their lives, but things often turn out very differently. So you want to find out your life calling. That usually includes spending some time in college or experiencing different kinds of ministries and different kinds of opportunities. So you settle into something that this is what I want to do. And ideally, if you already know your life calling before you meet someone, you can tell very quickly, hey, we're going to work together well. My husband and I had both spent many years in youth ministry before we met each other. We both loved working with college-age young people. We'd found it the most satisfying thing of all the different kinds of ministries we'd tried. And we had spent several years doing it. I was 26. He was 28. He was already an ordained pastor. I remember when I was uh, 18 and going through um, marriage and family class and academy, and the teacher says, well, you know, the healthiest marriages where that's the least likelihood of divorce are those where people get married for the first time between 28 to 30 years old. And I was like, oh, Lord, don't make me wait that long. What do I mean? I'm never going to get married. You know how the back and forth. Anyway, I didn't, I didn't believe that I would ever get married. I thought no one would ever choose me. But at the same time, I was like, oh, 28, that's a long ways away. But I'm so glad I didn't get married any sooner. I love my husband. I love marriage. It's great. But if I had gotten married before I did, I would have missed out on so many opportunities to travel, to do exciting things, to make rich friendships. I spent so many summers sleeping on the floors of churches and schools and whatever. Those were adventures that I wouldn't have had if I had gotten married at 20 or 22. And then later on, my adventuresome self would have chafed a lot and gone, oh, if only I could get out and travel. I was always planning to travel. Well, I did. I did a lot of traveling. I did a lot of adventuring, and I had a wonderful time. And I tested out a lot of different kinds of ministry. So I found what I really loved to do and settled into it. Then when my husband came along, he and I both had found life calling, settled into them, and we found, wow, your groove is really close to my groove. We could just go side by side and have a wonderful time. Intelligence is another very important thing. It's not so much how intelligent you are. Two very intelligent people or two very unintelligent people may be able to build beautiful relationships. Usually, it's you know, people have different kinds of intelligence. But the main thing is that you're well matched to each other and that you enjoy the same kinds of intellectual pursuits. My husband and I love to think about why people do what they do. We love to study theology. We love to evaluate systems and things together. These are fun things to do because we both love to do them. We probably, I don't know if we're intellectually equal. He's, you know, much wiser than I am, right? Oh, mighty Dr. <laughs> Parker. <laughs> no comment, huh? <laughs> intellectually, we are interested in the same things, and we like to talk at the same level about things. I share with him exciting things I read. He shares with me exciting things he reads. We love doing that. Being intellectually similar will save a lot of stress and conflict, and sometimes people end up feeling very empty if they can't communicate on the same intellectual level. So that doesn't mean your grades have to be the same. Sometimes people who are very intelligent have high grades. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes their intelligence is in different areas. Intelligence in how to deal with people, for example, or how to evaluate things. 
but make sure that not only you're similar, similar intellectually in as far as your intellectual ability, but in your intellectual interests, and you'll have a lot more to talk about, a lot more to enjoy together. Organizational skills, again, two people who are not similar organizationally can build a beautiful relationship, but it also may end up being much more stressful if the house is always filled with clutter or the house is always neat as a pin and the other person just isn't built that way. You know, and again, you can, you know, flexibility covers a lot. When we first got married, my husband had this wonderful habit of walking into the house and walking out of his shoes and then walking out of his socks somewhere. And um, for the first couple of weeks, it was like, oh, this is so neat. I get to be a wife. I picked up his socks and put them in the laundry. And then it stopped being neat. And it started getting irritating. Thankfully, he was a wonderful person who was very easily flexible and was able to adjust when I suggested perhaps the socks could go into the laundry without me doing the in-between step there. <laughs> and that was a wonderful thing. But you see, organizational skills, or overall, he's more organized than I am. But he's a big picture organizational person. I'm a detail organizational person. So we're very different. In, in our relationship, those two things complement each other. We're able to pull things together. I'll look at all the little details, proofread what he's pulled together, and it works great. We love that. But it also causes frustration sometimes. Different levels of organizational desire and ability can be valuable in different situations. You know, there, I know some homeschooling moms who do all kinds of creative crafts with their kids. They're great with their kids. They read stories, they go to the park, they learn all the different trees and birds and flowers and things like that, and it's just fantastic. Their children have a wonderful time. But the house isn't always clean. Sometimes there's stuff under the table and dishes piled up and this homeschooling room isn't quite the way that the husband would like it to be. Different kinds of organizational styles doesn't mean that either one is evil. The creative mother is doing a fantastic thing for her children, and the mother whose house is clean and organized and whose children always put things away methodically is also doing a wonderful job, just different, different kinds of organization. Negotiation skills. This, I debated, negotiation skills could also go into the flexibility, you know, the uh, character and all of, all of these things. Negotiation skills are partly a character issue. How much is this person like Jesus? But they're also partly a personality issue. Some people freeze when they hit conflict or crisis. That may be because of their family of origin and the way that they handled conflict. It may not be. But whatever is the cause, they have to learn to negotiate because otherwise you'll end up alienated from one another. You want to be able to negotiate. Risk taking is another personality issue. Now there are, I mean, there are hundreds of these, so I'm just giving you a few of the ones that cause some of the most stress in relationships. Risk taking, if one person wants to take risks all the time, whether that's climbing rocks or taking financial risks, it can be extremely stressful to the relationship if the other person is not a risk taker. So again, these are things to talk through and to see how the other person navigates life. So many things you're not going to think of talking about until you actually are living out your relationship, living out, hey, this is how this person handles that. Oh, he's got an interesting sense of humor. 
You know, how do you, how do you quantify that? You can't really sit down with a person and ask a question. So what is your sense of humor like? Well, what is your sense of humor like? You kind of just have to experience life with them, right? So this is why it's so important to prepare for preventing your breakup by not getting together with a person until you've spent time with them in a variety of settings. Otherwise, you find out too late that you're in a three-legged race with a person whose legs are longer than yours or shorter. Now, everybody is going to be different in some areas. So that's part of the purpose of marriage. God wants us to live in deep relationships with other people who aren't like us because it helps us to learn to be like him. It helps us to learn to die to self. It helps us learn that we are not the only ones on the planet and our way is not always the best way. And even if our way is the best way, we will do well to learn to give in to nurture relationship. That's a character issue. That's becoming like Jesus. But along the way, I find people who have similar personalities tend to make more progress. It's kind of like, imagine that you yoke together or harness together two horses to pull a wagon, but one horse is big and one horse is little. Not only is it going to be difficult to make that harness fit, but one of the horses is going to end up pulling harder and the wagon may be always going in one direction, right? So it's crucial to match your horses well. What about every time the horses come to that Y in the road? One wants to go this way, one wants to go that way. You know, I've counseled couples where I'm just like, wow, you know, leadership is a wonderful thing, but having two leaders is not so much. When a marriage is all chiefs and no Indians, it's a guaranteed recipe for trouble. So before you get harnessed together with somebody in any significant way, ask yourself a lot of questions about how you handle the personality clashes between the two of you because they're inevitable, they will happen. Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 through 5 says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Of course, that whole passage is all about different kinds of a time for this and a time for that. But there is a time for relationship and there is a time to restrain yourself, especially if you're too young you just need to stay away from it. Think of who you were two years before, you know? Who are you gonna be? Are you pretty much a very similar person to who you were two years before? If not, chances are two years from now, you're gonna be a very different person too. And so is the person that you're considering. Now, all of us are always growing. We should always either be, you know, we're always either growing or dying. That's the way relationship works, right? That's the way every living thing works but you want to know that you're growing in the same direction, that you're growing toward Christ, and that you have at least reasonably leveled out in becoming the person that you intend to be for your life. When a person is a brand new Adventist or a brand new Christian, it's not time for them to get into a brand new relationship. They're, t they're taking their time right then to focus on a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ, a new way of relating to life it's better for them to adjust to that at that point rather than trying to negotiate a relationship with another person at the same time. Many times the best way to head for a breakup is to get into a person's life right when they're going through a major transition in other areas of their lives so that they really can't focus and they end up being a very different person six months later than they were at the beginning. 
there was one man that I dated who was a wonderful person. I, I loved his personality. We had such a great time together. And we, we were dating before we even knew it. It was just amazing, miraculous how the Lord had led us together, blah, blah, blah. It was all so wonderful. But it was a long-distance relationship. And when I started, when I actually spent time with him on a mission trip, I immediately saw major ways that we were not similar in personality. Not only that, I began seeing some character issues, ways that he related to being tired and irritable that were very alarming. The ways that he related to commitment. He would be committed to me and then not talk to me for a couple of days. Then come back to me, I'm totally committed to you, I'm totally in love with you, then not talk to me again the next day. I'm like, what is happening here? And I realized he might be a great match for me personality-wise, but it was not time to be in a relationship. He was wrestling with his relationship with God. I had thought he was so stable because I didn't know him well. So I broke up with him, fully intending to marry him, fully intending that as soon as he got things worked out, we'd be together again because God had brought us together and I loved him and I knew he loved me, but that wasn't the way it worked out. Within a few months, he was married to someone else. And a few months after that, she had separated from him already. Eventually, he left the Lord, he left the church, which I could never have imagined at the time because he was this powerful soul winner, evangelist, but he wasn't ready. Sometimes it's not time, and whether he would have stabilized or not, if I had married him, I don't know, but the chances are, honestly, very slim. Finally, you want to evaluate circumstances. These, this is another broad category, but it has a lot of different areas that are crucial to your relationship. Things like family. What does his family say? If his family doesn't want you to marry him and you want to marry him, if her family is adamant that she's not ready, she's got to get out of school first or whatever it is, you need to pay attention to those things. Money. If you don't have the money or the financial stability to make it, then perhaps you should wait for a while. I know everybody uses the classic, well, it costs less to pay rent for one place than to pay rent for two places. Yes and no. There are a lot of things that can come up when you're married. For one thing, you never know for sure if she's going to get pregnant. You need to be able to support a family. And the fact that you don't have money may be a significant factor suggesting that you're not mature enough to save it up. I know there are student loans, there are all kinds of issues that can make a person be in a crisis financially, but it still is a significant factor because you know one of the main things that people divorce about is supposed to be money. Now it's never really about money, it's really about other things, conflict resolution, communication, character, those kinds of issues, but still money can cause a lot of additional pressure on a relationship. Remember in the Bible when God, God gave a system that if a man didn't have enough money, what would he do? He would work because his future father-in-law didn't want to know so much about whether he had money. It was more whether he knew how to make it and spend it. Was he a hard worker? Would he support his wife? How did he handle a long day out in the fields? You see, it's not whether you have money, but how you manage money and whether you know how to make more of it, whether you have the commitment, the perseverance. So again, it can be a character issue, 
but it also is a circumstances issue. Education. Some people get married right in the middle of school and build a beautiful relationship, but it adds a lot of pressure. That first year or two of marriage can be very intense when people are really wanting to follow the Lord, to live out their relationship of love, to set up good patterns of relating to each other, but they get into cycles of negativity or of being too busy or of not having time with each other. It's hard to break cycles. It's much better to set up your family after you have finished your education and gotten out into the workforce where you've got more stability. That first year after you get out of school is often a time of tremendous growth and change. And you want to be sure you maximize your opportunity to become yourself, to form your own identity before you wrap yourself around someone else. <coughs> Health is another issue that can be very serious. No matter how much you love someone, sometimes you have to think through carefully. Is this person healthy? Am I healthy? Do we need to wait some time? Because getting into a marriage can also add more stress on health issues. And there can always be pregnancy, things that need to be watched out for. Desire and capability for children. Sometimes one person is not capable of having children and the other person wants to have children. Now that's kind of a touchy thing because how do you evaluate that before you actually start dating? You don't usually sit down with your friend who you're not dating and say, so how many children do you want and when? Just kind of, that's sort of a dating engagement kind of question, right? But it's important to think through some of these issues because if we're talking here about how to prevent a breakup, this is the reason some people break up. They want to have children or maybe the other person already has children and this person really doesn't want to have children. These are significant things to consider of circumstances and of course that's not an exhaustive list. There are many, many kinds of circumstance issues to, con to consider. Now, what about if you're already in a relationship? What should you do? I'm sure some of you, as you've gone through this list, you've been able to see areas that, hmm, that compares to my relationship or wish I'd thought about that sooner. Right? What about if you're already in a relationship? You want to evaluate all these things about yourself and the other person in the midst of your relationship. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to break everything off, but sometimes it does. Sometimes a breakup is one of the best th gifts you can ever give to yourself. I remember when I was dating someone who I loved very much. I fully intended to marry him and I thought he intended to marry me. And then one day he sat down with me and informed me that he didn't love me, wasn't attracted to me, and had decided he wasn't going to marry me. He broke up. I was completely shattered because I had been building my sense of being worthwhile and loved on this man and my future with him. Now I felt like everything who I was was just completely gone, like all of my insides were just ripped out and I was just this empty shell walking around empty and, and devastated. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to process that. And yet now I look back and know that day was one of the greatest days of my life. If it hadn't been for that breakup, if he hadn't given me the gift of ending a relationship because he knew it wasn't the best for either one of us, I wouldn't have ended up being married to the man of my dreams later on. Now I look back with much wisdom and experience and I know, wow, that relationship would never have had the potential to be like the marriage that I have now. There were so many significant areas of personality clash, lifestyle clash, belief system clash, 
and character issues going on in both of our lives that needed to be dealt with. We weren't headed for the kind of marriage that either of us dreamed of. And so it was a great blessing that he had the courage to break up. Sometimes breaking up is the greatest gift you can give to someone, especially to yourself, when you know, number one, that you're not connected deeply with God. If you're not connecting deeply with God, you need to make that your first priority. Whatever you have to do to get to that point. Now, most people are like, I'm already dating. I guess I'll just try to spend more time with God in the midst of this relationship. That may work if your relationship is not a significant stumbling block for you. But this is where you're going to have to prayerfully evaluate from an honest heart. Lay yourself before the Lord and say, Thou God seest me. This is what's going on in my heart. This is what's going on in my life. What do I need to do? Sometimes a breakup can be the one thing that will drive you to Christ when nothing else will. When day after day, hour after hour, you have to go to God to be for you what your boyfriend or your girlfriend was. Now, if you're married, obviously, you are not, God has not called you to break up this relationship, right? Barring issues of abuse where your body, which is the temple of God, is being damaged. And I, I can sometimes include emotional abuse in that. Sometimes it's necessary to separate in order to help the other person see that their sin issues are very serious. That can be an act of love. But usually that should be very far down the line after you've tried everything else. The crucial thing, though, is to be able to connect deeply with God. You need to get your sense of being loved and worthwhile from God. If you do that, and if your relationship is not one that's getting too physically involved, for example, because when you're getting physically involved in your relationship, you are in major quicksand. You need to get out of that situation. If, and by physically involved, you know what I mean, going against your convictions, doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Now, some people say, well, I'm not really convicted that it's wrong for us to be doing this. Um, that's an issue sometimes of what is your definition of conviction? Is conviction what I feel guilty doing? Because there are a lot of people who don't feel guilty murdering. Does that mean they aren't convicted? No, they know what's wrong to do. They just don't feel bad when they do it. So when your convictions don't match what you feel bad for, that's a sign that you have been numbing the voice of the Holy Spirit. When you know what God wants you to do and you set a standard for yourself physically in your relationship and then you're not capable of keeping that physical boundary, it's because there is a major worship issue in your relationship and you need to get out of it now. That may mean taking a break for a few weeks. That may mean breaking it off permanently. I can't tell you. The Lord will be able to help you to know. But the crucial thing is often people are kind of like two magnets. They've gotten themselves so close emotionally and even codependent, idolatrous in their relationship that they're like two magnets held so close together they can just barely keep themselves apart. And every now and then they can't keep themselves apart, snap, and they come against each other. Then they're trying to pull themselves apart again, but snap, they come right back. This is an issue of worship. This person is the reason why I feel loved and worthwhile and I cannot stop myself from being intimate with them then what I need to do is pull the two magnets far enough apart that they can be kept apart. Emotional intimacy breeds physical intimacy. That's the way we're designed. God wanted us that way. He wants us to feel deeply connected 
to the person emotionally before we get married and get connected with them physically. So it's a natural progression, a healthy, wonderful gift of God, except when we're short-circuiting God's plan and going around his desire for purity for us. Purity is God's standard, not whether I feel bad about this or not. God wants us to live pure lives. And if you're sensing that in your relationship there is not purity, get out of it. If there is addiction, if there are issues of pornography or something like that, get out of it. Take a break. Take a break as long as you need to, longer than you think you need to, just to be sure. And put up strong boundaries around that quicksand so that you don't fall into it again. You know, I often tell people, it's the ones who think they won't make these mistakes that end up with an unwanted pregnancy. The others take along birth control. They know what they're planning to do. But the consequences that you suffer from making mistakes that can never be taken back are not just on you when you create another life. This is a child who then has to spend the rest of their lives suffering for your mistakes. When I say physical intimacy is a serious issue, I mean what I say. Don't play around because when you, when you push the boundaries, when you willfully step over the fence onto the devil's ground, you'll always go farther than you think you will because you're depending on yourself instead of Christ. You will do things that you know you shouldn't do. And the question is, what will the consequences be? There are always consequences. That doesn't mean that God can't cleanse us from sexual impurity. He does all the time. He is able to give beauty for ashes and turn your mistakes into a wonderful testimony. But don't do that to yourself. If you know you're in a relationship and you're not connecting deeply with God, you're getting into cycles of idolatry. You need to break it off, take a breather, spend time with God. Don't keep emotionally connecting with each other all the time because that's your anesthetic to prevent you from feeling that deep need of being loved and worthwhile in Christ. If you're not having issues with being connected with the Lord, say you're both walking with God, you're really strong in the faith, you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're mature, you're dealing well with things, and you don't have any cycles of idolatry going on, just a healthy, wonderful relationship with two of you together, you may say, so everything's great, right? Well, it's always wise to prayerfully evaluate what keeps you together. Is it that you just feel like, well, I'd hate to lose everything we've invested in. Well, maybe that's something significant to consider. You don't want to just stay together out of habit, but you also have to con you know, communicate with the Lord about what's going on in your relationship. Preventing breakups is not as important as preventing divorces. I don't mean that once you get married to a person who your personality doesn't match with, you're doomed to divorce. You know what I'm talking about here. I mean building the best relationship with the best person for you. Make a God-centered commitment to either be together or apart. If you can't figure out which side of the fence you should be on, then you need to both take some prayerful time to consider. Breakups are hard, but they're harder the longer you've been together and the more you've invested in the relationship. So it's better to have a breakup sooner and prevent a worse breakup later. If you are already in the relationship and you don't see that you need to break anything off, then by all means, continue pursuing learning more about one another. 
these four different categories of things that need to be evaluated are powerful and every single one of them needs to be considered seriously. So often people get into marriage without thinking about it as much as they would think about buying a new car. They just go on their feelings. They just go on, wow, I love being with this person. It's my best friend. I can't imagine my life without them. Well, you know, when I married my husband, he was my best friend. And I couldn't imagine my life without him. And I was deeply in love with him. And I was thrilled that I could spend my life with him. But first, I had to go through that process of evaluating how likely are we to break up? And do we have good reason to? Doesn't mean that we were perfect. We weren't, nobody is, but God was working in our relationship to teach both of us valuable things about himself. I've never regretted marrying my husband. I, I know very few people who can say that about their marriages. Of course, it's always, you know, no relationship is perfect. There are always lots of areas that we need to grow, lots of areas we need to be changed into the image of Christ. But the thing is, you can't decide to get married just because of your feelings. Because then what's going to happen when those feelings desert you later, as they certainly will during your marriage? You've got to have something much deeper than your feelings. Most people get married because they think they'll be happier with this person. Look how happy I am since we started dating. And I can't imagine how happy I'm going to be when we get engaged. And then just think, wow, marriage will be over the moon. We'll have everything else plus sex. Wow, how great is that? And instead, marriage is not the beginning of happily ever after. It's the end of it. Because now they have to deal with each other in the hard knocks of life. They have to negotiate things. You think having a roommate is hard. You don't go on vacation with your roommate. You don't share your wallet with your roommate. Your roommate doesn't decide what you get to eat and what you get to wear and what, where you're going to live for the rest of your life. These are the things you wrestle with, everything. There are just thousands and thousands of areas of life that you're going to share. And the only real guarantee you have when you get married to each other is that you have no idea what's coming at you next. <laughs> that there will be things that you cannot possibly imagine when you walk, walk down that aisle. There will be stuff that you go, I cannot believe. You know, my husband, 12 years, 11 years into our marriage, we discovered he had hepatitis C. Whoa! When I married this man, I married him for better or for worse in sickness and in health, but I didn't know he was already sick with a sickness that was destroying his liver. And that 11 years later, a doctor was going to sit there and tell me he may be dead in two or three years. In fact, he may be dead sooner. Now, praise the Lord. God has done all kinds of wonderful miracles to preserve his life, and we are so grateful that at this point it doesn't look like his health is in serious danger anymore. But nobody warned me that that was coming. I remember the pastor at our wedding saying, oh, and someday the beautiful children that are going to come into your life, and I thought, I cannot imagine that. Now I can't imagine life without them. But, you know, along the way there have been so many times that we've moved somewhere, we've had friends that we hang out with or can't hang out with based on the fact that we're married to each other and our life has taken a different uh, turn irrevocably because we chose relationship with one another. You need to have a commitment one way or the other. If you're on the fence, 
Move toward knowing whether you belong together or not. Be intentional in the time you spend with each other. That way, if you are going to move toward a breakup, hopefully it won't be as painful because you haven't as invested as much emotionally and especially physically in one another. I find if people do break up before they have gotten physically intimate, the less physical intimacy they've had in general, the more able they are to be friends later on in life. When he's married to someone else and she's married to someone else and they're able to relax and be friends again, it's so much better than, you know, dodging each other at reunions and going, oh my goodness, I can't believe he's going to be my daughter's third grade teacher and that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> you don't want a lot of exes wandering around this planet. Trust me on this. They show up in the weirdest places yeah. and you really don't want the, as many of them as most people have. You want as few as possible. If you have never crossed the line of commitment with this person, even if you've known each other and you've known that you liked each other and you've even had conversations with each other, if you've never crossed the line of commitment, it's so much easier to relax. You don't look at their picture for the rest of your life and go, oh, my ex. If you haven't made that commitment, then you stayed away from there. It's just so much easier. So the best way to prevent breakups, the best way to make sure you don't have lots of exes is to not get committed until you have a pretty solid idea of who this person is and what direction you're going. You know, I think we all want to have risk-free relationships. But the fact is, love is risky. That's just the way it is. You can never guarantee that the person that God leads you together with is going to be alive a week after you get married. So life is fragile. You can never guarantee that this person isn't going to change because people do. That's the thing that's guaranteed. This person you marry is going to change and you are going to change and your circumstances are going to change. All kinds of things are going to change. That's the only real guarantee you have. So what you want to know is how is this person likely to change? And are the changes going to be things that are significant enough that I will wish that I had not united my life with them? That's why you want to know how much this person is like Jesus. First of all, is this person committed to the Lord? I remember one of the first things that I talked with my husband about before we started dating was how committed is he to Christ and to the Seventh-day Adventist church? Because I will always be a Seventh-day Adventist. And I did not want to be married to someone who was not. And he said, whatever happens in my life, no matter what, I will always be a Seventh-day Adventist too. Great. So he says so. But I needed to see it shown in all the different ways that he related to life. And I saw as I watched him doing evangelism, sharing Christ with others, his honesty with me about his own spiritual walk with God and the times that he struggled, but he would always remain committed to the Lord. It gave me confidence. Not absolute confidence because you can never be absolutely certain. You cannot predict this person will never do this with certainty. But it gave me confidence. This is a man who will always follow Christ, who will be willing to sacrifice and to love me well. This is a man who I could trust to take care of my children and raise them in a godly home if something happened to me. You need to know that. You need to have absolutely confidence as much as you can, absolute confidence. This is a person who is going to follow Jesus all of their lives. As confident as you are, you could be wrong. So the, the serious consideration you have to make is how much evidence do I have that this person will always be committed to Christ, that they will always seek him first.
as much as every one of us wants to follow Christ, we know that if we end up yoked together with someone else, it can have devastating consequences for our spiritual life. There's so much counsel in the spirit of prophecy that warns about that, so we don't have to go into all of that. But the main thing I'm saying is love is risky. When you get together with someone, you're always taking a risk that you might break up. That's why you want to do as much work as possible beforehand to be confident God is leading you together. Sometimes God may lead people together and then lead them to break up. As he led me and my boyfriend, it seemed like he led us together, but later he led us to break up. Do I understand that? Not totally, but I can see how it's been a blessing in both of our lives. It taught me a lot about the dangers of a long-distance relationship. So when my husband came along later, I knew what to watch for. It taught my friend a lot about God and his grace for him, and I don't know what fruits that will bear in his life long term. The thing is, we can't always figure out why God leads the way he does, but we can trust him to guide us, especially in this issue of who we yoke together our lives with, because there may be no other factor that has as much impact on our eternal destiny and on our children's eternal destiny than who we choose to marry. So choose wisely, choose prayerfully, let the Lord guide you. Don't be afraid of a breakup. There are things that are much worse. But as you do your homework prayerfully and become healthy, become the person you need to be, you reduce the chances of going through a breakup. And you safeguard your future marriage so that it can be a glory to God and a delight for both of you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord Jesus, I know that you have called us into relationship with you. And we want to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also our neighbors as ourselves. And I know everyone here is hoping that they will be able to have a beautiful marriage that can glorify you. I pray that you will give that blessing, that each one of us will be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, that we will know when you tell us to turn to the right hand or the left, and that either you will give beautiful marriages or you will give something better because we have surrendered ourselves to you. Thank you so much, Lord. We love you. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.